Hi, this is Mona. You're listening to A Devil's Tale. I am very excited to share today's story with you. This case is absolutely wild. It involved one of the former presidents of South Korea, the National Intelligence Service, and the Hong Kong police. On January 5, 1987, the South Korean embassy in Singapore received a very unusual phone call from the U.S. embassy. The American officials on the phone was asking help because they have a South Korean citizen at their office, saying he just escaped from being kidnapped by North Korean spies. The man's name is Yoon Taesik. He was 28 years old at the time. To have a South Korean citizen accused North of kidnapping is a very sensitive and serious political allegation. If what Yoon has said is true. Then the embassy is facing a huge problem. They need to have a press conference and notify all international authorities immediately. Yoon told the officers that the spy who tried to kidnap him was not a stranger, but his wife Susie Kim. Since the information Yoon provided was very serious and unusual, the embassy called and briefed the agents from National Security Planning Agency, which was the predecessor of the current National Intelligence Service in South Korea. The agency immediately deployed agents to Singapore to investigate. On January 8, Yoon was transported to Thailand, which is a neutral country, to have his very first press conference. The next day. He flew to South Korea. As he was walking out of the immigration checkpoint, news cameras caught him putting his hands on his heart to gesture that he is very relieved to be home. The airport was flooded with reporters. Every news outlet in South Korea was completely fascinated by Yoon's story and was also fearful of the possibility that North Korean spies truly exist. Yoon immediately had a second press conference at Gimpo International Airport. In this press conference, Yoon described the entire event. He said that six months ago, he traveled to Hong Kong to start his career in selling compact discs, also known as CDs. With his friend's help, Yoon quickly found an apartment. The current renter of the apartment unit was cutting the lease short to leave town. And this renter was Susie Kim. Susie Kim was 34 years old at the time, and she was about to go to Japan in two days when she met Yoon. However, Susie's trip to Japan was delayed, which meant she had to stay at the apartment longer than she intended to. Yoon at the time had already begun his move-in process. In the end, the two agreed to become short-term roommates until Susie is able to leave for Japan again. While living together. They both developed romantic feelings for each other. Susie and Yoon ended up getting married a month after they met. Yoon said to the reporters, "You know, now thinking back, I have realized all of this was a trap by Susie. She charmed me into marrying her so quickly. It was all in the plan to kidnap me to North Korea." On January second, nineteen eighty-seven, a few months after they got married. Two Japanese-speaking men came into their apartment at night. Susie told Yoon to go out and buy some drinks and cigarettes to host their guests. Yoon thought it was a bit bizarre, but he didn't think too much of it and went to the store. 
When he returned home, Susie and both men were nowhere to be found. The next morning, one of the men from the previous night came back to the apartment. The man told Yoon that Susie owes them a lot of money, and he's here to ask Yoon to pay the debt. If Yoon doesn't pay, they're going to sell Susie to a brothel. The man said, "In fact, Susie is already in Singapore with our people. If you would like to save her, then come to Singapore with me." Yoon told the reporters that, of course, he hopped on a plane immediately. He would never abandon his wife. When he got to Singapore, he was put up in a very nice hotel. A woman Yoon has never met came to his hotel room. The woman said she's a friend of Susie's and gave Yoon a note. On the note, there was an address where Yoon was asked to go. When he got there, he realized it was the North Korean embassy in Singapore. Yoon said he was being forced to become a political refugee by the North Korean diplomats. While he was there under surveillance. He realized that his wife Susie had betrayed her own country and was working with North Korean government to kidnap South Korean citizens. He said he managed to escape when the officers took a break. Yoon also believes now that he has escaped. North Korean government may kill Susie because she is compromised. During this entire press conference, Yoon kept saying how grateful he is to be back home and thank God he's alive. He told the reporters it is imperative for South Korean citizens to support the government in fighting against North Korea's communist regime, so what happened to him will never happen to anyone else again. In order to go into the next part of the story, I have to give a little bit of background in what was happening in South Korea politically at the time. The president at the time, Chang Doo-hwan, was a very controversial figure. His political career is filled with bloodshed. Before Chang was the president, he was a military general and played a heavy hand in the Gwangju massacre. He led a military coup and succeeded in becoming the president in the 80s. President Chang was not liked by many young political activists. Voices opposing his power and dictatorship-like behaviors were getting increasingly louder. On January 14, 1987, the police arrested Park Jong-chul. He was the president of student council in the linguistic department of Seoul National University. Park was 21 years old, and he was participating in student protests against President Chang. The police interrogated Park for many hours, trying to find out the names of other students involved in the protests. Park refused to confess, and the police tortured him to death in the form of water cure. Water cure is a torture method where the victim is forced to drink large quantities of water in a short time. Often, the victim's mouth is forced open, the nose is closed with pincers, and a funnel or a cloth then is forced down the throat. When Park died, the police did a press conference saying, "All we did was bang on the table a few times trying to get some information out of him. Who knew the kid was going to die on us?" The public and the journalists were completely outraged by the law enforcement. Criticisms against President Chang and his government became harsher after Park's death. Protests grew larger, and the public was demanding systemic change towards true democracy. President Chang's right-hand man, Zhang Zedong, was a director of National Security Planning Agency. 
Director Zhang was one of the key figures in pushing Yoon's story of being kidnapped by North Koreans to be publicized as much as possible. He was going to use the story to shift public's attention from President Zhang's wrongdoings to the fight against communism. Director Zhang was briefed about Yoon's case on January 5th, the day the Korean embassy in Singapore first heard about this kidnapping. The agency then sent some agents out from Seoul to Singapore to investigate and was going to do a press conference. But upon further investigation, the agents at the embassy found inconsistencies in Yoon's story. Then they sent a telegraph back to Seoul's central office and said, We have reasons to believe Yoon's story is fabricated. We should not go forward with the press conference. The central office in Seoul initially agreed with the agents. But at 5 a.m. on January 8th, the central office sent another telegraph to the embassy saying, Please proceed with the press conference. This is a direct order from the president himself and director Zhang. This is a matter of national politics and make sure Yoon sticks to his story. Singaporean government got a wind of this and refused to have the press conference be held in Singapore. So Yoon was flown to Thailand to have the very first press conference. While the South Korean government is busy using Yoon's story to orchestrate a political campaign against North Korea while boosting the image of President Chong, Hong Kong police received a phone call on January 26th from the residents of an apartment building near Tsim Sha Tsui district. The police was told that there has been a very unpleasant smell coming out of one of the units in the building. By following the smell, the police found a female body hidden under the mattress. After autopsy, it was determined the cause of death was asphyxiation and the time of death was about three weeks ago around January 4th or 5th. The victim was Susie Kim. Susie's head was covered by a pillowcase, and there was a belt around her neck. The apartment had no signs of forced entry. The police also didn't find any DNA evidence belonging to a third party. Susie's friends told Hong Kong police that a few days before Susie disappeared, she showed up with bruises on her face. Apparently, Susie and Yoon got into a heated argument regarding his DVD company's finances, and Yoon started beating her. Their maid also said, On January 3rd, Yoon asked for the spare key, and she was told that her service is no longer needed. At this point, Hong Kong police has listed Yoon as their number one suspect. Since Hong Kong in the 80s was still a British colony, murder cases like this involving foreign personnel are all investigated by British detectives and often are handled with lots of caution and diligence. Without any progress in finding ways to contact you, Hong Kong police reached out to South Korean police force for help but was rejected. By now, Yoon's story has made waves of news in South Korea. In most people's opinions, Suzy is a despicable North Korean spy. Hong Kong police did a press conference denouncing Yoon's story. The police said it was all rubbish and that Yoon is the real suspect and it's close to impossibility that a third party killed Suzy. At the same time, North Korea also consistently denied they had planned to kidnap Yoon. However, 
This was before the internet. The news from Hong Kong was pretty much blocked out by Director Zhang and the National Security Agency. Suzy Kim now is a figure that everyone despises in South Korea. Her entire family was arrested by being affiliated with a spy. They were tortured for information, and Suzy's mom passed away shortly after being released from prison. One of Suzy's older sisters lost it mentally after going through such stress, had a stroke, and also passed away shortly after. Three out of her four sisters were divorced by their husbands because no one wanted to be connected to a traitor's family. Suzy's younger brother was let go from work. He turned to alcohol to cope and died in a car accident. Suzy's children from her previous marriage were also bullied at school. Eventually, they were moved to Hong Kong to live with their biological father. Suzy was born in 1952. She had six siblings. Her dad passed away when she was 10 years old, and it left the family in bad financial standings. She started working at a factory in high school, but it didn't pay her enough to support the family. Since she was a very pretty girl, she got a job to be a bar hostess at a bar where American soldiers and business people used to frequent. The job paid much better, and she met a businessman from Hong Kong. They quickly became an item, and she had a daughter with this man when she got to Hong Kong. Unfortunately, Suzy found out that this man was already married with children. She left him, but decided to stay in Hong Kong to build her career. In the summer of 1986, she met Yoon, and the rest was history. She was very supportive of Yoon's career. When he said he wanted to open his own DVD store, like a blockbuster store. Suzy put together four thousand dollars by asking her family and digging into her own savings in order to jumpstart Yoon's business fund. She was so happy that she has finally met a decent, hardworking man, and her family said that she believed her life was finally on the right path to find happiness. Yoon, on the other hand, was ungrateful of Suzy's sacrifices and was very short-tempered with her. Whenever he made money. He would spend it in drinking at bars. Suzy and Yoon would argue about how the money was spent, and Yoon became very abusive. After Yoon killed Suzy in a fit of rage, he escaped to Singapore to avoid being caught by Hong Kong or South Korean police. Yoon thought it would be easy to seek refuge at the North Korean embassy, but the embassy felt that although Yoon is a South Korean citizen. He wasn't useful to their political agendas, so they refused to help Yoon. Yoon felt humiliated and angry as he was walking to the American embassy. He decided to fabricate the story of being kidnapped by a North Korean spy and frame his own wife. A year after Suzy was killed, President Chong was forced out of the office. Yoon's story was not able to save him from his political controversies. Thirteen years later, in the year 2000, Suzy's older brother, who has been fighting for his sister's innocence all these years, decided to sue Yoon. There was also an investigation going on into Director Zhang's past doings. Many activists who have opposed President Zhang's political influence over the years also demanded to reopen and reinvestigate Suzy's case. In 2000. A reporter published another article about the story. 
The Korean diplomat in Hong Kong at the time learned about the case details through Hong Kong police. The information was shared with South Korean law enforcement, and a reinvestigation was launched. The Hong Kong police shared every evidence they collected, and Yoon was formally charged with murder 51 days before the statute of limitation was going to expire. He was sentenced 15 years for murder, bribery, and fraud. He was also ordered to pay Susie's family about $400,000. However, Yoon had spent all of his money and there was nothing left. Director Zhang was also ordered to pay Susie's family $800,000. Finally, Susie's name has been cleared and the murderer was put away. However, it is far from a happy ending. A woman's life was taken. Her reputation was dragged through the mud. Her family was shunned and cruelly treated by the society for decades. All the while, the murderer was celebrated as a national hero. Susie and her family were sacrificed for political agendas. Their lives became disposable in face of preserving a politician's career. I want to end today's story with one of my favorite quotes by MLK. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe if you have enjoyed our stories so far. Also, we would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, story requests, or just want to say hi, you can write to us at adevilstale at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again, and we will see you next time.